Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Hello, hello. It's great to be back with you. I know I've been traveling. If you followed on social media where I've been, I was actually at our Relevant Radio headquarters, our new headquarters just outside of the Chicago, uh, main city of Chicago, with all of the other show hosts and all of the relevant radio staff getting to visit with everyone, faces I've seen on Zoom for the last few years, but haven't necessarily met in person. And it was such a joy to be with my team and see them in person for the first time in a little while as well, our producer team, our production team. Uh, so that's where I've been traveling for that meeting, the day of formation that we had. But I'm back with lots to say. So much has happened in the world. Now, of course, if you know me and if you've been with me over the years, I can't escape or avoid having to comment on the latest royal scandals and drama this one, although there is some royal scandal and drama, but we'll get to that next week. Of course, Meghan Markle, goodness gracious, everyone's just like smacking their faces right now. And maybe you don't even want to hear about her, but there, she said some interesting things over the last couple of weeks that we'll talk about next week. But in the meantime, rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth II, the longest reigning monarch there in the history of her family line, the line there. I think it's a phenomenal to see uh, how long it's been, 70 years passing her own great-great-grandmother, right, Queen Victoria. Uh, she's fascinating, Queen Elizabeth. She represents a 21st century, I think, anomaly for many. One, she's royal. Two, she's a female monarch, something both of which are rather interesting in the 21st century. So it will be fascinating. And I stand corrected, longest reigning monarch ever. Thank you, Patrick. I hadn't realized just ever uh, that that was the length of her reign over 70 years and not to mention a 73-year-long marriage. Can we just talk about that for a moment? We will. In just a little bit here on Trending, some fascinating things to say about her. And in light of any influential and powerful individual's death, we often tend to ponder our own death. And in light of Queen Elizabeth II's death, we'll talk about the top five regrets of people who are dying and what we can learn from them and maybe spinning it away from regrets. Should we have regrets when we die as Catholics? It's an interesting question. What do you think? Should we have regrets when we die as people of faith? Or should we have made progress in the spiritual life where there aren't regrets? Or does everyone die with regrets? We'll talk about that a little later on on the show. Well, news is hitting with one of the latest childhood animation shows being pushed for LGBTQ ideologies. 
Here's my question. Will you let the LGBTQ ideology cause insanity for you? It's a legitimate question. Joining me now to talk about that as well as the opportunities coming up for votes on abortion here in the United States is Hugh Brown. Hugh Brown joins us doing incredible work with American Life League. Welcome back to Trending, Hugh. Hey, Demery. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Let's talk about what's on the ballot coming up here in the United States. I know my home state of California is looking at Proposition 1, which would be an ongoing expansion of abortion. The state of Michigan is also looking at a proposition where, again, the people get to vote on abortion. We're having difficulty connecting with Hugh. I have been fascinated to see what's happening in my home state of California. Now, Having been involved in the political spectrum there over the years and seeing the worst of the worst when it comes to our nation. And as you know, what happens in California tends to sweep the nation from no-fault divorce to abortion. We've set the norm for where and what is normalized across this great nation. And abortion has been a leading topic. So we'll talk about both California and other states. But again, joining me now is Hugh Brown. Hugh, let's talk about what's happening in the individual states when it comes to the opportunity for people to vote on abortion, in many cases for the first time ever. Yes, well, I think that we just had a meeting today here at the American Life League, and and we have supporters that have been with us since the 70s. And there is a tremendous misunderstanding that with the uh, decision in Dobbs that uh, un, undid, you know, a grave injustice in Roe versus Wade that we, we've had supporters actually say that the fight is now over and the fight has literally just begun because prior to Roe versus Wade, it was a state issue. And now you have 50 separate states with 50 separate um, agendas and 50 separate uh, uh, battles. And so many of these states have very restrictive laws. Some have laws that are benign and some have laws that are 100% supportive of abortion and trying to enshrine abortion in their state constitutions. So it's important that people understand in the state that they live in that the fight is very real and it has now become much more complicated. And unfortunately, you know, the Supreme Court had a decision, had an opportunity where in undoing Roe versus Wade, um, inciting, you know, the fact that it was something that was created out of nothing, out of basically political expedience at the cost of the lives of 68 million children. They could have said, you know, they could have identified and protected, you know, life in the womb, but they did not. I mean, they literally had a once in a lifetime opportunity. And who knows if they'll have that opportunity anytime soon. So now you have uh, individual states, again, that are having ballot measures, that are having uh, proposals to amend state constitutions, to uh, protect abortion, to make abortion legal even after birth, uh, which is makes absolutely no sense. And so it is very um, convoluted and confusing for people. And I think it's important that they understand in the state where they live, that they understand what the laws are, what is on, what is being proposed, and that they use the power to vote to protect human life. It's, it's critical that they get involved and just don't take it for granted because the fight is not over. It's become much more complicated. Now, we see a number of states coming up where you, the people, will have the opportunity to vote. Already, August 2nd, Kansas voted on an amendment and it failed. California will vote on a 
horrific proposition, Proposition 1. That's a no vote. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Kentucky has Amendment 2. Michigan has an initiative that is coming down the pike as well. Montana and then Vermont as well. Um, Let's talk a little bit for a minute here, Hugh, about Proposition 1 in California. Now, many people have talked about how California, from the get-go, has been the most permissive abortion state in the nation, with expected to be the highest abortion numbers, even though California is a state that has never been required to actually report what their abortion numbers are. So any statistics we have on abortion are really always sort of guesstimates based on uh, some data we do have. But it's interesting because California is a state that many people haven't realized has always allowed for late-term abortion with no restrictions, especially after Planned Parenthood versus Casey the last 30 years. It's been a norm. It's been a norm in our medical schools in California. With places such as UCLA performing late-term abortions using medical students, it's horrific. But now California wants to be a sanctuary state, and we're seeing in Proposition 1, which people will have the opportunity to vote for or against, Uh, If voted for, this would be a worst case scenario when it comes to abortion. It's an incredibly misleading measure that basically gives unlimited access to abortion and specifically late term abortion as well. Any reason, any time, you don't have to have a reason or cause, health of the mother, rape, incest, any of that. And in fact, it's basically giving unlimited access to taxpayer dollars to pay for abortion as well. Hugh, what are your initial thoughts on this proposition in California? It's it's demonic, and you have to recognize it for what it is. I think when you and I have discussed this, it, the issue of abortion previously, we, we very strongly have the position that abortion is is a blood sacrifice. I mean, it is literally offering up children to the demonic. And it is something that possesses people. It is something that if you simply Google and take a look at YouTube, but whatever's out there, take a look at the protesters, people that support abortion. There, There is an absolute disconnect from reality. I mean, there's a level of violence. There's just a level of disturbance. There's a level of, of absolute confusion. And that, that's where the enemy works. And that's not condemning those people. But in California, you know, we've um, reported for years that the highest percentage of Planned Parenthood facilities, both physical facilities and then facilities that operate these abortion pills, it's in California. I mean, a lot of children die in California. Right. Yes, it's mm-hmm. a very populous state. But you know, what they're, they're proposing is essentially enshrining abortion permanently, which means that more children will die. And California also is a state where um, David DeLayden, um identified that baby parts were being sold, you know, to, yes. to universities and to commercial companies. And, and from an abortion still, clinic, I've prayed at many times. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's near my grandparents' home that I grew up, you know, around. It's incredible to know this is happening right in our backyards. Well, Timory, that and I think that's the answer, right? The answer has got to be prayer. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to hear that. But it is a battle against principalities. There, we, we actually discussed, and we wish we could create a report. We're trying to look backwards at how many clinics since the 90s we've been involved in and others have been involved in that have shut down because of the power of prayer uh, with, with just good people praying regardless of their denom- denomination, certain places where you know good bishops have allowed um, a Eucharistic processions. There are literally places that have just shut down within days 
And it is something that God's people have got to stand up against. And I think abortion is very similar to, to everything else that we're dealing with right now, where the enemy tries to make people feel guilty for opposing something as if you're, you're suppressing women, you're oppressing women, or your, your view is somehow bigoted or hateful. And that is, that is essentially what they use for every form of sin now, right? Anything you want to oppose, you're a bigot and we have a right. You don't have a right. And you don't have a right to murder children. I mean, they are created in the image and likeness of God at the moment of their creation. And we have got to fight for them. And God's people have got to wake up. The, the, the problem isn't the state of California. The problem isn't their governor. The problem isn't the people that support this. The problem are the people who say that they support life but are apathetic. There, there are more of us than you could ever possibly mm -hmm. imagine, but people mm -hmm. do not act on it. They talk, right. and then they don't do anything. And writing, I mean, honestly, writing a check, supporting an organization, it's not enough. It's mm -hmm. not enough. you got to get involved. You mentioned prayer, sitting outside of clinics. There's nothing more powerful than that. Nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, Hugh, because I think a lot of people here, okay, why are you talking about California, Timurant? It's a hopeless cause, a hopeless case. I disagree. Born and raised in Southern California. I've been all over the map in Southern California. I have seen the people. I know the people of California. And I saw in 2008, California voted to uphold Proposition 8 that would make in our state constitution, marriage between one man and one woman. California did that, along sure. with most of the other states across the nation. And that was only 14 years ago. The, the truth of the matter is, as you're speaking about, Hugh, it's a matter of apathy. Will we deny apathy? And will we cower at a vote such as this, a private vote that again, a private vote that we have the right to speak up on. The reality is most people don't want late-term abortion and most people would agree they don't want to pay for someone else's abortion. And this is exactly what Proposition 1 does. It expands abortion. It removes any little bit of actual restrictions that are currently placed on third trimester abortion. And I think that most people would agree this is not something they want. No, no, it's not. It's evil. It's, it's murdering human beings. And the fact that it's even being proposed is just insidious and it speaks to how far we have fallen and that the apathy you just mentioned is is just a pale i mean it's just a haze it just hangs over everything and people have just got to wake up it is a principality first that we're warring against and people have got to pray and they have got to have courage and if they do not and if they do not as you're recommending and absolutely rightly so vote against this thing with with absolute strength and pray against it um it's only going to get worse and that means mm -hmm. that more children die right more right. children die that's what this means but again i see it all the time people just don't want to discuss it they feel that somehow it's just one of those issues and it's not it is the issue of our lifetime it's one of the most horrific things in the history of humanity um it is just one of those things that people are just apathetic about. They might support you in the, when, you're, when you're talking about it, but when it comes to actually doing something, uh, they just take a back seat. And that, that itself is sinful. I mean, failure to act is sinful when, you, when God has given, God orders place and time. What do you do with that place and time? And if you're operating in fear, then you're basically bowing to the enemy and you cannot do that. You cannot do that. We have an army in heaven supporting us. you got to pray and ask for the help, and you've got to take a stand, and you've got to just simply do the right thing. It's not hard, and it's not complicated, and it's not painful. 
That's Hugh Brown from American Life League. You can find them at all.org. Hugh, let's take our gaze a little further east in the country for a moment in the state of Michigan. Michigan's interesting because Michigan is another place where they're trying to enshrine abortion in the state constitution. Uh, But what's fascinating about the state of Michigan is that they actually had a trigger law that should have gone into effect that would have effectively outlawed abortion because that was the law of the land prior to Roe versus Wade. Of course, in the state of Michigan, they had people choosing to not uphold the law, to ignore the law, and lo and behold, here we are with a ballot measure where Michigan will have the opportunity to vote on whether or not they push abortion in their state as extremely permissive or not. Uh, What's interesting about this to me, Hugh, is that Michigan, again, you have a Democrat governor who is extremely pro-abortion, yet you have a good majority of Michigan being there in the heart of the Midwest who are people of profound faith there in the Bible Belt line. Uh, I think it's interesting to see where this vote will go. I think you're exactly right. And I I think also that there is a a very large percentage of uh, Catholics in Michigan and it's important that the leaders, you know, our priests, our bishops, our leaders speak and speak boldly. You know, my wife and I, you know, we've been married now for 30 years come November. And we talk about this often. And we, we belong to a great parish. And we go on vacations and hear different homilies. It is, you could probably count on one hand the, in 30 years. And maybe it's a little bit more than that. Maybe two, maybe two hands. How many times you hear sermons and priests speaking directly and boldly on the sin of abortion? I mean, it's mentioned, but in terms of taking a stand and as Catholics having a moral obligation to fight against it, not just to sit there and nod, but to leave the church and then do something about it with your with your time and your talents and your treasure. Uh, the church, you know, the church, I think, is our, our, our greatest proponent. And the church has got to take the lead in these things and be unashamed. And uh, unfortunately, in the Catholic faith, as in many denominations, what you see is that same level of apathy. I mean, everybody's willing to talk about immigration and everybody's willing maybe to talk about taxes or things that, quite frankly, are, you know, not even remotely as, as, uh, as important as what we're discussing. And it's that same level of fear. And uh, we have to pray and war against that because the devil's hard at work in silencing God's people. And we just, we've got to make sure that God's people stand up in California and in Michigan and be be bold, mm-hmm. you know, as the saints Amen. were, right? Be the saints. They, many of them died, you know, standing up for things like this. I'm sure they didn't want to die, <laughs> but, but they did. You know, they gave their lives so that, you know, we might have the faith that we have. And it's important that we honor that because not to dishonor. Right. And it's something I'll talk about a little later in Queen Elizabeth II, longest reigning monarch, someone who it was clear her faith did matter to her, but she clearly struggled on the issue of abortion. And unfortunately, the choices she made, I'll talk about that a little later here on the show. But a heads up is you're getting ready to head into election season and voting California, Kentucky, Michigan, Montana, Vermont. You all have ballot measures, initiatives, amendments that you have the opportunity to vote on. So be sure to look it up and do your research, but also spread the word. I believe California. I believe out of all states, California, even places such as Vermont, have the ability to prevent the expansion of abortion in their state. 
but it's a matter of people speaking up and standing up. Joining me now is Hugh Brown, the Vice President of American Life League. Check them out at all.org. That's all.org. Incredible work there. We'll post a link on social media. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I'll be right back with Hugh Brown. We'll talk about whether or not you will let the LGBTQ ideology cause insanity for you. Did you hear this news? 22%. That's one in five Democrats believe that men can get pregnant. I'm not kidding. It's a recent poll. I'll be right back here on Trending to talk about that, as well as Queen Elizabeth II, the longest reigning monarch. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Trending with Timory. I'm here with Hugh Brown, who's the executive, or sorry, the Vice President of American Life League. You can find them at all.org, doing incredible pro-life work. He's also a football coach. He helped to found a Catholic school. It's staying true to Catholic teaching. And I want to talk about some of the insanity we're seeing on the LGBTQ front. I want to share with you a couple uh, news items from the last week, and we'll dive into where we navigate for ourselves the true insanity of the LGBTQ ideology and whether or not we will or will not cave to it. It's a question. And it's a question we have to hold ourselves accountable to. Listen to this. A recent survey conducted by WPA Intelligence in August, so just a couple weeks ago, actually polled and saw that 22% of men, Democrat men, that's one in five Democrat men, or sorry, Democrats in general believe that men can get pregnant. So just to clarify, I misspoke there. One in five Democrats believe that men can get pregnant. More than one in five, according to this survey. Now, women who identified as Democrat were more likely to agree that men can get pregnant. And this included 36% of white college-educated female Democrats. Are you kidding me? You're telling me one-third of educated white female Democrats are saying that men can get pregnant. On what world are we living on that anyone, male or female, is going to say that this is a reality? This is where we actually have to ask the question, will you let the LGBTQ ideology cause insanity for you? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm being truthful. Men cannot get pregnant. And when you see or hear a headline that claims that a man can, it's because this is a woman who has reconstructed some anatomy or is socially identifying as a man, but is actually a woman. Now, one more story to just help you see how insane things have gotten. Peppa Pig, which is known for its viral memes, British accents, a highly, highly popular show for kids. Everyone quotes it. I am rejecting Peppa Pig. We also don't let our daughter watch TV, uh, but I'm rejecting Peppa Pig because (laughs) it's just one of those things you hear nothing but about Peppa Pig. But here's a real reason to reject Peppa Pig. Uh, 
Two polar bear moms were introduced to the show this past week. The first same-sex couple in an episode titled, quote, Families, where they make it seem normal, where polar bear, who is known as the mama bear even more so and then another polar bear who's the other mama bear but is no more so is dr bear they're normalizing this family meal with these two quote polar bear moms but this isn't the only show to normalize a so-called family sitting at a table slurping noodles the show arthur my little pony doc mcstuffins and others are doing the same thing it's all about childhood exposure, and the question is, where do we draw the line? Joining me now to discuss this is Hugh Brown. Hugh, welcome back to Trending. Talk to me about your initial reaction, what's happening with this whole LGBTQ ideology, and what we've seen, especially this last year, with kids being exposed to it. So I'm listening to the examples you just gave, and I'm sitting here you know, just shaking my head. And it reminds me, when I was growing up, I was a big comic book fan, and one of the th one of the universes that uh, was sort of an anti-universe was called bizarro world and that's what we're dealing with right now these things are just beyond reason right they're illogical it, it doesn't make any sense and i think what we as christians and as catholics have to recognize is that we're dealing now with essentially the anti-church we're dealing with anti-reality. You're dealing with people that are not operating in any form of reason. It's all emotion. It's all just sort of want to, if you will, make believe. It's absolute insanity. And what what people have to recognize is that you're not hateful for standing up to nonsense. You know, in our work here, you know, we deal a lot with. What I can only describe is is apostasy, uh, meaning the 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 intentional misguiding and misleading, or it, just the, neglecting your own faith. And parents have got to recognize that this attack is very real, and we've got to look at it plainly. You have to realize that as Catholics, as Christians, we are we're dealing with a fight in a battle that's for our souls and the souls of our children, and not just when they're children, when they become teens. When they become adults, um, you know, we have five children and I, you know, we, you, you couldn't pay me a trillion dollars to send one of my children to a public university. It's just never going to happen. Uh, it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to I'm not going to invest my entire life in raising my children in our home mm -hmm. and, and with our faith. And it's not perfect, but then hope that it works out at some university that's focused on, on taking them in the wrong direction. So it's important that we realize this battle is a spiritual battle. We have to pray. We have to realize that opposing it is is, is absolute right. It's absolutely um, battling confusion and intentional, just as you said, insanity. And again, you have to just overcome the fear. And the fear comes from the world saying that if you don't embrace this stuff and kids, God love them today. I mean, you can't turn like the shows you just mentioned. It's even worse than that. If you look at music videos and artists, I mean, it's just. They embrace that whole homosexual lifestyle uh, and, and anti-Christian everything with, with absolute vigor. And anyone that opposes it is somehow, in, in, at least in popular culture, is labeled as something negative. And so that's peer pressure on kids to embrace sin. And so we have to raise our kids to be fearless, and that's not easy. 
We've got to be consistent. You mentioned you don't have television for your daughter. God bless you. We, we do the exact same thing. I might have mentioned to you previously, you know, my daughters were very angry at me because even <laughs> though we founded this high school, you know, until they were seniors or one of them when they graduated as a senior, their gift was an iPhone. And they were, you know, dad, we're, you know, we're in this little school. We're the weirdos. You know, we don't have the iPhones. They thank me now, you know, because mm -hmm. it, they, it, kids just don't need that stuff. Right. I take my wife out to dinner and I see families with eight-year-olds and they're on iPads and they're connected to the internet and the toddler's got a, a on the iPhone. Yeah, I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, it's mm -hmm. just parents have got to be better than that. You got to be better and realize that this is the battle, right? It is the battle. It is the battle for the souls of our children. And you can't differentiate that this is what the world's saying. This is what our faith is saying. And we're going to try to fight two battles. We're going to try to, to be faithful and somehow conform and fit. It is absolute. That's a delusion. We have got to stay true to the faith. And if the world opposes it, so be it. We're called to evangelize, but do it without fear. And mm -hmm. you mentioned the, the things that are currently happening. One of the things that I um, read earlier about these some of these pride festivals where they're uh, uh, having these children dress up in drag and sexualizing children. I mean, it's things that I think would it's have atrocious. been unimaginable even 10 yeah. years ago. Mm -hmm. So we're oh, going to be in 10 years, right? So we've got to, if we don't oppose it now, it's only going to get worse. It's, it's, it is really, it's the sexualization of our children. And I'm telling you, there have been democratic proposals in the past, right? To lower the age of sexual consent from 18 to 16 to 14. Ugh. That's where this right. is going. Right. That's where this is going. You know, when you're a well, bigot, if you oppose yeah. that, that's probably coming. Right. Right. And I mean, we have a vote that has been announced by Chuck Schumer that will be imminent in the coming weeks ahead of the election on. We haven't talked about it yet. Well, next week here on Trending on so-called same-sex marriage and enshrining it nationally uh, into federal law beyond uh, what Oberfeller versus Hodges did what back in 2016. And what the big concern is, is that this would normalize or allow for essentially uh, claiming that it's okay for not just homosexual, quote-unquote, marriage, but multiple marriages, marriages that expire, but also for pedophilia, for the legalization normalcy of things such as this. And people might say, hold on, that's a slippery slope. But if we are actually paying attention to what's happening, we have to be truthful about the sexualization of these children that's occurring today. And it's a choice of either turning your head as a parent of wanting your kids to be exposed to everything, wanting them to seem like everything is normal, or of just trying to go with what's easiest and not, unfortunately, protect them. No, amen. And I think that bill's even more insidious. As you mentioned, one of the things that I read is that that bill would force the states to recognize, if something is legal in one state and you move to another state, that state has to recognize it. And that you right. could have 50 different definitions of marriage that include multiple people, animals, children. I mean, it, it is it is absolutely naive to think that that's not the intent, because the intent, again, is that just all of this, everything we've discussed from abortion to homosexual, it's all intended on the destruction of the family. Right. The domestic church redefining the domestic family. And then and the Lord, the Lord defined the family. So anything that the world does, I think for us, the, the sad part is, is that we know Christ. You know, 2,000 years ago, the pagan world didn't have Christ, but Christ is no secret now. And the teachings of morality and the natural law and the faith that's a gift given freely to all of us, either accepted or rejected, that's not a secret. And it's openly being rejected. And it's openly being rejected and actually warred against uh, by people who claim to be Christians and Catholics like our president. 
and yet they're not corrected. And that causes mm -hmm. nothing, but that, that furthers the confusion you're identifying. Right. So right. while we're trying to struggle with these things, we've got to have help from the leaders of our church. You know, and it, it's out there. I would encourage people, it's not doom and gloom, but you, you just don't hear about it. You don't hear about it unless you look for it because the, the bishops and cardinals and priests that are out there fighting every day for the truth, they're out there and they're doing mm, great things. Amen. But you're not going to read it. You're not going to hear about it on NBC. You're not going to see it on CNN. Even Fox News doesn't cover it, right? Right. You, you see the news outlets it. who want to cover anything that anyone with a Catholic stamp on their name says contrary to what the Catholic Church teaches. And we are in a battle for truth and reality. We are in a verbal battle right? I mean, redefining words and reality. And this is the insanity that we are facing. And the truth of the matter is, is there is such a thing as male and female. Biological reality is true. Gender reality and what you identify as doesn't change that biological reality. And that God gave us a body and a soul, either male or female. They aren't in contradiction to one another. And this is the truth we have to speak and the example that must be set for children for ourselves. That's why, okay, sorry, My Little Pony, Doc McStuffins, Arthur, Peppa Pig, whatever it is, if that's what your kids don't watch in your home, even though it's popular and so quote unquote normal for every other kid to watch it, that's okay. It's just a TV show. And I think that that's that level of detachment we have to have to protect ourselves from normalizing something but especially young and impressionable minds. You're listening to Trending with Timmery here on Relevant Radio. That's been Hugh Brown from American Life League. He's a vice president there. Check them out at all.org. That's all.org. I'll be back here on Trending in just a minute to share with you, indeed, my thoughts on the parting, the passing of Queen Elizabeth. May her soul rest in peace, as well as talking about something many of us might be pondering after the death of an a very influential and powerful individual, and that is a article I read on the top five regrets of people who are dying and what we can learn from them. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Okay, the queen, the queen, as we learned, died yesterday. Queen Elizabeth II, the longest reigning monarch, died at the age of 96 at her favorite place, the vacation home of the great royal family, Balmoral Castle in Scotland. Uh, family had been visiting in and out to see her. It's interesting as I look at Queen Elizabeth II, she is a point of absolute fascination for us in the 21st century. First of all, she represents something that seems rather fairy tale esque, and that is royalty. Not only the fact that she's royalty, but she also represents something fairy tale esque in the respect that she was married to one man and the same man. For 73 years, even in the midst of the ups and downs that they experienced in their marriage, but to the fidelity and strength that they took from one another. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but she also represents another fascination in the 21st century, and that would be part of what you could argue is the push for a feminist ideology. And that is she was the first 
our first and really kind of recent history, female monarch in terrain, of course, a historic uh, amount of time. And it's interesting because you see a lot of movies, books, and stories that center around people such as her great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, as well as herself. And, I mean, films and movies and documentaries and television shows are being made about Queen Elizabeth II while she's still alive. And this has been one example would be The Crown on Netflix, which reveals many details about her life, many speculations, and attempted to documenting her life, but also uh, taking that creative liberty as well. It's interesting because Queen Elizabeth, if you mark and look at her reign, she ascended the throne in 1952 and died in 2022, 70 years as a monarch. She saw the sexual revolution more so than many of us and from a unique perspective, from the perspective of her own family. Think of people such as her sister, Margaret, who was uh, quite a challenge for a royal family in her way of living and her sexual promiscuity to Princess Diana and even to the very story of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry and even just the scandal of how in not just Meghan Markle and Prince Harry but uh, Will and Kate just the normalcy of these people living together before marriage of things that they did that never would have been sanctioned by the royal family in the same monarchy 50 years ago or 60 years ago so I find it absolutely riveting to look at this queen and her life. Many things could be said. I be lo- would love to hear your thoughts. If you want to send me a message on Instagram, relevantradio.com forward slash trending or at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. It'll be interesting to hear some of your thoughts on Queen Elizabeth and the fascination we have with her. But just again to mark for a moment the strength of marriage in difficult times. She was married to her husband, Prince Philip, who was the prince consort, not the king and they were married for 73 years marrying just a few years before she ascended the throne he died at 99 last year in april and they represent really a dichotomy of modern day relationships her being the ruler and he being the prince consort in you know again arguably queen elizabeth isn't even a ruler in and of herself she was a figurehead but who did still have some influence and the prince again not really having any of that say in the political or moral direction of the nation so it's interesting to see these dynamics that occurred within her life from the sexual revolution to her longtime marriage but still the dichotomy of that relationship now what's fascinating to me is has always been queen elizabeth ii's faith you can't argue that she didn't hold to a faith the christian faith belief in god and that it didn't matter to her because indeed it did in fact it was fascinating to hear cardinal vincent nicola's comments the archbishop of westminster and the president of the catholic bishops conference of england and wales he commented saying we pray for the repose of the soul of her majesty and then he says we do so with confidence because the christian faith marked every day of her life in activity Many people do actually know that Queen Elizabeth II highly held in esteem her faith. She's someone who, again, regardless of talking about her actual politics, she tried to hold to a moral compass, a level of accountability. I think that's something they show well, at least in the little bit of The Crown that I did watch. I quit watching the show when it got super scandalous. 
I don't know, maybe the first or second season. I don't remember exactly. Uh, but what was interesting to me was to see that she had this relationship, this friendship. And if you look and study some of it, she had a profound relationship with televangelist Billy Graham. Uh, she was fascinated by him and his preaching. Uh, she did hold to a Christian worldview. Did that always influence her politics, her reign? Not necessarily. But I think that what Queen Elizabeth II represents for many of us is that dichotomy where we say we're people of faith. We call ourselves Catholic, Protestant, whatever it might be, Baptist, you name it. But then we don't align our lives, our political choices, our moral choices, what happens inside of the bedroom, outside of the bedroom, all of these different segments of our lives, we don't actually allow them to line up. And I think we see in Queen Elizabeth II, someone who tried to do that but struggled through the sexual revolution, through the challenges of being a monarch, but we can make excuses for all of ourselves as to why we struggled, why we didn't follow through. But I want to just read a little bit of her Christmas message from 2000. Every Christmas, she would give a Christmas message and she'd speak profoundly of her own faith. And in 2000, she said, to many of us, our beliefs are of fundamental importance. She goes on to say, for me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. It's Queen Elizabeth II on Christmas, her Christmas message for 2000. She's showing and making it very clear that the teachings of Christ are what she holds herself to be accountable to before God in making the framework of her life. I think that this is a good example that, although not always put into practice well, reminds us that there's a higher authority than ourselves, and even as a monarch, we don't just choose, no matter what level of power we have, how we are going to dictate our lives. We don't just subscribe to a little bit of this or a little bit of that. We are all at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, are accountable and judged by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we all have that struggle to follow our own consciences. Now, one area of interest to me, especially on the pro-life issue, is Europe and abortion. We often talk about abortion here in the United States, but the European monarchs have faced abor the abortion question over the last 60 to 70 years, and Queen Elizabeth II herself was a part of ushering in abortion during her reign. And it's interesting to set her juxtaposed to other monarchs. So Queen Elizabeth II, we saw she faced a challenge where her true values, her belief in God, and even being true to herself, they struggled clearly with aligning at times. Uh, there was an accountability that was lost, unfortunately, when we look at some of what she did on the issue of abortion. Queen Elizabeth actually gave her royal assent in 1967 to the Abortion Act, which has resulted in more than 6 million baby boys and girls having died as a result. Now, people argue the queen is just a figurehead. Yes, but she still signs the act. Now, juxtapose that to other monarchs. You have, for example, in 1990, 
King Baudouin of Belgium notified his cabinet that he could not and would not in good conscience give his royal assent to a law that permitted abortions. It made headlines. And you may have recalled, if you were alive at the time, in 1990, the headlines read that the government itself actually temporarily suspended King Baudouin's power, his reign, for one day. The day so that he would not have to give his stamp of approval to permitting abortion in his land. And so we see one example where someone stood their ground. We also have the pr- Prince of Liechtenstein who moved to block abortion legalization in 2012 and he did so successfully. Still the current, current monarch there, Prince Allo, or if I'm saying that correctly, he's a devout Roman Catholic and he's one of the last, pl- it's one of the last places in all of Europe where abortion is still illegal, where women, if they want access to abortion, have to go to Switzerland or Austria. Now, Queen Elizabeth II shows and represents. And I know people are going to say, you're speaking all the dead. I'm just talking about what happened on abortion under her watch. She was there at the forefront of the sexual revolution. And we see, I think, in Queen Elizabeth, the dichotomy that each and every single one of us face. Did she try and strive to live according to her Christian faith? Yes, I believe so. She held herself to a very high standard, a standard that was very difficult for her. And the pressures that she faced, the pressures that they, this all held on her marriage. But it's, I think when we look to her and her example, it's easy to be fascinated with the wealth, the power, the clothing, the royalty. But the truth of the matter is we see Queen Elizabeth face the same exact battle each and every single one of us face. And that is, will we allow our faith, our values, who and how we identify And how we interact with the world politically, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Will all of that align? Will we be true to ourselves? Will we allow power? Will we allow money? Will we allow sex? I mean, what will it be that we allow to get in the way to make excuses for not standing in line with our faith? Our pride? It's something for all of us to think about. And I think this is a great opportunity to sit today to pray for the repose of the soul of Queen Elizabeth II. May she rest in peace. Now, as we all see, and if you're just joining me, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Thanks for being with me. You can always ask questions live, one 914 or on social media. I'm live now on Instagram as well at Timory, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Glad to take your questions and thoughts, especially on this topic. When we experience the death of an influential and powerful individual, it often leaves many of us pondering our own imminent deaths. Now, Queen Elizabeth II is a reminder of this today. It's interesting, I was reading an article on EV Magazine's website. I'll have to post a link to it. There was a nurse who worked with people on their deathbed, Bonnie, Bronnie Ware, and she recorded some of the most common regrets that she found as she was interviewing people on their deathbed. And she decided to publish this because it actually really changed her life and the way she lives her life. So here are the five most common regrets. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life other people expected of me. Ooh, reminds me a little bit of how faith had to have been a challenge for Queen Elizabeth. Comparison, expectations, acting, uh, how easy it is to lie to meet other people's expectations, and how it's easy to live a life far from God in a modern culture that has a tremendous amount of animus toward 
religion, specifically Christianity. A second regret is people regretted that they had worked so hard. They wish they hadn't. It begs the question, do we live to work or do we work to live? We should be working just enough to live. Our definition, our worth is not in our jobs. We're human beings, not human doings. That's important to remember. The third regret is people said, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Interesting. People feel like they can't share as much as they like. But I also think it's not that they had the courage to express their feelings. We live in a mode of culture. I think it's that people wish they had the courage to express their true thoughts. Because feelings are great, but that doesn't mean they're true. We take our feelings and apply them to reason. And then will we share what we actually think? I think it's the courage to share what we actually think that people probably regret more. Fourth is, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Interesting. Many people are dying today without any familial or friendship relationships. It's a reminder of the importance of keeping our family and our friends close and working through the difficult things that relationships bring. And fifth, people would say, I wish that I had let myself be happier. I find this interesting that people would say this on their deathbed. It makes me wonder if they ever discovered that happiness is not what we're looking for. Happiness is in a momentary fleeting emotion. Happiness is what they're looking for? Perhaps not. I think more so abiding joy that you only find in God. What's missing and I find interesting about all of this when reading these five things that were found most common by this nurse who was talking to people on their deathbed, these regrets of these people who were dying, is there's nothing about God, but I think we can see God in them. I think of the book Preparation for Death by St. Alphonsus Liguori, where he says, To obtain eternal sanctification, the soul must be found at the last judgment, having led a life conformable to the life of Jesus Christ. St. Alphonse Liguori in this fantastic book, one of my favorites, Preparation for Death, also gives words of, of advice, something to meditate upon when it comes to our death and our faith and these regrets of people on their deathbed that I'm sharing. He says, if you continue to sin, gradually you will cease to feel remorse of conscience. You will lose almost all light and you will lose all fear. That comment from St. Alphonsus Liguori makes me think of the importance of the gift of the Holy Spirit in living our lives, fear of the Lord, and counsel. People in these regrets they had before their death talked about having the courage to say what they wish. Well, pray for that virtue, for that gift of the Holy Spirit of fortitude, counsel, fear of the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to live and abide in your life. Stay in a great state of grace, in other words, and go to confession frequently in your life. Receive our Lord often in Holy Communion. This is living a sacramental life, and I don't think you'll have regrets on your deathbed if you do so. This is Timory from Trending with Timory, and new studies come out claiming that young people are more likely to pray than older generations. We'll talk about it Monday during our weekly happy hour because studies show those who pray and foster prayer life in their children are ones who tend to be happier and more emotionally and psychologically stable. Also, we'll talk about eating healthy to keep us happy. So join me Monday for our weekly happy hour, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.